This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have another one of our HITS instructors on with us today. Uh, Sergeant Jerry McClellan is going to be instructing a class at HITS in Chicago this year. So I brought him on just to talk about his background and then also about the class he's teaching. Uh, how you doing, Jerry? I'm well, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. For our uh, listeners, can you kind of tell us about yourself, uh, your, your obviously your background, where you work, what you do? I'm a sergeant with an agency in Massachusetts. And I've been there for 19 years, been doing canine for a while. I got promoted to sergeant and assigned as the canine unit supervisor as well. I've been the trainer at the agency for a few years. And uh, like I said, almost 20. And you were a, a handler before you got promoted too, right? Correct, correct. And still a handler for a control okay. narcotic canine. But mostly I do the training and I don't get called out much anymore. Yeah. How long have you been uh, handling dogs now? I want to say since 06. Boy, I should have researched myself that before <laughs> I came on the podcast. Been a while. You've been doing it for a little while, though. <laughs> a little while. A few different dogs, I imagine. Quite a few different. Mainly all uh, patrol narcotic or single-purpose narcotic. Uh-huh. And does your agency, uh, for uh, d- did you start the unit, or did it exist before nope, you started nope. handling a dog? It existed long before me. Um, uh-huh. And now, like a lot of agencies, our EOD side has grown much more than our our patrol narcotic side. We have uh, sure. over a dozen EOD dogs. And do you do all your training in house? Just yes, yep. a, a trainer's program inside your own agency. So yeah, we'll go out. We'll get a green dog, and then we uh, we have our school. So we'll do uh, all of our EDU dogs at this current moment are all single purpose EDU dogs, and our others are dual purpose uh, patrol narcotic. Okay, I see. And I know you also do some kind of interesting uh, training on the side that, that takes you around different places. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? I do. So I'm a master trainer with an organization called Dogs for Law Enforcement, uh, DLE, and we have seminars throughout the nation. And uh, we were just in Iowa at Camp Dodge, which was a great seminar. What an amazing facility out there. Great host of the Iowa National Guard and uh, down in Texas and Alvin each year. And we're going to be moving to Michigan and uh, Louisiana. So it grows and keeps expanding. And I've also done some private contract work, training uh, explosive detection dogs for the Nigerian Army and the Nigerian Civil Defense. So how, how did that come about? Nigeria is not uh, you know, that easy, I imagine, to make contacts with. Is no, it? It, was, it was quite interesting. Uh, a company in California hired a company in Texas who hired me yeah, <laughs> uh, to go to Nigeria, and it was quite a quite an adventure. I'll tell you, the first time was a little hairy, and the the second time was was a little bit better. Uh, how long were you in Nigeria then? The first time, uh, I want to say it was a month and a half, two months. The first time, and the second time was for a month. Yeah, it, it, give me give me a couple of takeaways from that. I think that's a pretty unique experience. I got to say, what was was impressive is. You know, compared to the, the United States military, where we have larger funding and resources and just seeing the minimal amount of equipment and gear the soldiers have and just their 
their tenacity. I mean, they were, they were talking about their, their fighting up north against Boko Haram, and you know they're getting in firefights where they're running out of bullets. Wow. And Boko Haram's coming at them with you know more ammo, more weaponry, and that's quite a uphill battle when you're not getting supplied properly. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people who have been in those that region and some of the you know other regions that are pre-challenged. That the that's always seems to be the takeaway is the dedication from the, the either the cops or the soldiers are dealing with is is pretty extraordinary. Quite impressive. I was very very impressed. Made some great friends over there and just I mean truly warriors. Yeah, kind of frustrating sometimes. Then when you see you know some of the some agencies here where they basically have anything they could ever need plus a lot and handlers who give, you know, 50% effort. It's kind of frustrating. Yes. And I always say it's quite different training explosive detection handlers when you have, you know, IEDs going off around you. Yeah. Can, you can hear the blast <laughs> off base. They're, they're very, very focused. And they, yeah. They're paying attention to what you're telling them. Yeah. I, I, had, a, I had the opportunity to uh, do a thing through uh, Utah post where they brought in people from, Iraq, uh, the generals from the different agencies from Iraq, and it was just to teach them about all the different capabilities that they could do with with police dogs. So they were there for about a week, and Wendell Nope had several of us come out and and do some some different classes, just showing them all the different capabilities. And I remember I was explaining that you know a good use for a, a bomb dog is also to be able to find guns. And one of them, through the interpreter, asked without. There was no joke about it. No, it was just an everyday question is, could they also find rocket-propelled grenades? <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, well, you know, luckily I have no idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't want to ever have to find out. You know? <laughs> We're not seeing too many of those currently in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was just a, for them, it was a, a regular question. I thought, man, I remember laughing, thinking, tell me about the bad neighborhood you work in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so at it, it, uh, HITS, you're teaching a class you want to talk about uh, what you're going to do there? So uh, teaching a class, training for the right reason. And I've been teaching it, taught it last year and modified from a class I taught a few years ago at HITS. And uh, what was interesting is I've obviously been around you guys for a while and never really wanted to stand in front of a few hundred people and teach because I'm very sensitive to feedback. But uh, through obviously trying times after 9-11, there was a lot of funding for training. Obviously, after the Boston Marathon bombing, there was funding for training. I had an opportunity to go to a lot of training, a lot of seminars. And certain seminars I'd go to, and I've always believed, you know, there's a million ways to train a dog. You know, more than one way to do a certain skill. And the old corny joke, put three trainers together. The only thing two can agree on is the third guy doesn't know anything. But then I started going to some of these classes and seminars, and... I felt guys are starting to teach stuff that are going to get guys hurt, possibly killed. And I didn't know, you know, how they find them, but they find them, they put them in front of these podiums and they become the expert. So I was talking with Andy about a class and I said, I want something that gets, you know, down to the basics. So it's not, you know, sexy. It's not fancy. We're not going to talk about, you know, fast roping onto rooftops coming in on Blackhawks. I like to talk about, how dogs actually learn. Cause what I found, obviously I travel around teaching and I'd see something unorthodox with the dog. And I always want to ask because perhaps their trainers having him do it to correct a problem. So I'd say, excuse me, you know, why are you doing this this way? And the number one answer I'd get is, I don't know. My trainer told me to do it this way. So I find it frustrating that guys are training and they're just kind of blindly following whatever they were told. In a lot of cases, 
they're just getting told something from a guy that doesn't really know why he's teaching that way. It was just because he was told that way. And, you know, no one's researching it. And, you know, it's funny, the biggest thing I always say I want you to learn from this is, is to ask why, you know, challenge, challenge your instructors. If you're going to, if you're going to stand in front of people and you're going to teach them and you're going to teach them something that, that could be a situation where it's life or death for them. Like you need, we need to start challenging these professionals in our industry. Absolutely. I agree with that. And I, and from having, you know, stood up in front of the class too, um, I think you'll agree that when you're the instructor, I know nobody wants to be the guy raising their hand, especially when there's, you know, 300 people in the class or better. But as the instructor, I like it when someone asks me a question, even if it's a question that, you know, maybe I, it's like, wow, I hadn't thought of that. You know, let's talk through it. Cause I think, um, it brings the class to life better. It shows that, you know, may, you know, maybe somebody's thinking about something that you just forgot to add into the class. Uh, it, I, you know, so for those people who are coming to hits this year, you know, think about that, that, you know, every instructor I bring on here, I guarantee you would tell you that they would rather have people, you know, interrupt in and asking questions. I absolutely love it. I love when, when they interact and I have certain questions I'll pose and wait for an answer. So then eventually when I just sit there staring at a few hundred people, someone's going to finally yell something out because no one likes the awkward <laughs> silence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I'll wait for an answer. And, I, and you're afraid to yell the wrong answer, you know? Sure, sure. You know, and I think sometimes people are intimidated thinking, well, I don't want to seem like I'm being disrespectful or challenging somebody. But I think, you know, anybody that we have instructed and has been doing it for a long time and, you can ask me anything. I've got thick skin and I'm sure you do like all our instructors. So ask away. And, and if, uh, you know, and there's been a few times where I've taught things and I've said, you know, I don't know, but let's, you know, I'll find out, you know? So I think it's a, it's a, it's a, like you say, it's, it's healthy to have a little skeptic skepticism, no matter if it's a, a big event like hits or if it's a weekly training session where someone's talking about something, but I think you should always kind of understand the, the why behind of, you know, behind what you're doing. I, th I agree with you. I think that's the key thing. And, and I tell them, and I always say, never stop learning and give everyone the benefit. And I always open up my class where I say, you know, you can, you can learn something from everything, everyone, you know, don't ever, oh, don't ever shut it down. But if you start understanding opera conditioning and classical conditioning, how animals learn and, you know, the benefits of, of what you need. And when a guy starts talking, you can learn from him and go, but wow, I don't think that's beneficial or I think that could be counterproductive because there's an easier way or a, a more effective way to teach that behavior. And, you know, it's kind of funny, not just like a, a commercial for hits. Come on down to Chicago. And <laughs> yeah. I, I learned so much in the vendor hall. You know, I'm just walking around, oh, I'll yeah. hear a conversation. I'm like, man, that, guy, that guy's brilliant. And I'll just like <laughs> mosey sure. over and start listening to him. <laughs> yeah, you I know? mean, that's what, you know, that's one of the great things I think about, you know, and there's lots of events that, you know, are, I guess I would, I'd have to say they copy ours, but the, it is a good, it, it's a good um, format, no matter where you are, that the networking is, is a big part of it. So it's not, uh, you know, it's not just sitting in a class, it's getting to know people and, and having, uh, you know, beer at night over dinner and, and picking people's brains there and hearing stuff. And, um, you know, I think the people, people get out of an event like hits, they get out what they want to get out of it. And I know that, some people, you know, they just, they're sponges for three or four days and just try to take in everything they can. Uh, and I think you get a lot more that way just by, like you say, walking around and uh, meeting new people and talking to them. It's, it's, uh, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I've done it this for a very long time and I've been around quite a few trainers, you know, between having my, my publication and hits. And um, I, I look forward to it every year. I'm, I'm always busy at hits, but I look forward to going to the classes. I look forward to 
you know, having time to talk to all the different instructors and the vendors, the vendors, um, are a wealth of knowledge, you know, so some of the vendors truly, they sell a product and they really don't know what we do, but they know their product really damn well. So there is knowledge there. And then there's a whole lot of really, really good knowledge in the, the vendor hall about dog training. Uh, you know, I'll throw a, throw one name out, uh, Mark Hines from Kong. Um, people, people will come by and he always is very generous and gives out lots of Kong products. But I'll tell you, you know, when you talk to the guy, he, he knows dogs, he's trained dogs all over the world. And, um, he's, you know, there, he's, he's one example of taking time in the vendor hall and talking to the vendors. You probably will learn quite a bit too. A lot of times I'll help Mark carry his stuff in just to talk and pick his brain when it comes to animal behavior. It's, it's like you said, he'll, I could sit there for days listening to him. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people are grateful when they run by and grab a Kong and, and go on about their way and probably never realize that the Kong was the least valuable part of that interaction if they took a little time just to, to talk to him. We have a lot of vendors that have um, quite a bit of background in, in what we do in, in one one form or another, and uh, it's always worth spending a little time talking to them. And, it, you know, people who end up at hit selling a product there are there um, for some type of passion for law enforcement, and most of our Vendors are are very specific to our our profession with dogs, so there's it's a it's a great event to to pick people's brains at. It really is. So I think it's going to be a great time. I'm excited. I always I always like when I when I I think I'm on Friday, I think Friday this this year. So it's a couple of days into it. And I always ask him because I remember my first hits was the first time in DC. So what year was that? Uh, it must have been about 2000, um, i trying to think, maybe 2012, 2011. I can't remember. I remember the hurricane. but Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, it was like year. an earthquake before it started and a hurricane when it ended. Hum- and a homicide like around the corner of the very <laughs> first night. So and an earthquake. Yeah. <laughs> I went there and my I just remember just my head, I felt like my head was going to explode. So I always ask guys when I start my class, you know, it's Friday, so you have a couple of days under their belt, you know, however many classes I said, whose head's ready to explode right now. Yeah. And all these hands go up because yeah. it's just, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's sitting in a class, no matter how passionate you're about it, three days in a class is tough. And, you know, that's why we try to do a little bit longer breaks. Let people get up, stretch their, stretch their legs a little bit and kind of clear their head. It's the, it's it, the knowledge you get in though, you know, cause it's, it's such a diverse thing. And I remember my second hits, I brought the notebook, and of course, I'm young and arrogant. Now I'm just, I guess, old and arrogant. But, <laughs> and I said, I wonder if I'll need a notebook this time because you know I've already been to a hit. So yeah. that, of course, made me an expert. And, uh, <laughs> and man, I took more notes the second time yeah. I went than the first time I went. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just it's so much knowledge. And I, I you know, it's a, I think I hope guys get involved in the classes. I hope they do ask questions because I hate just sitting there and I throw something out. And, always tough i think once you get a couple of guys talking and because i i like to learn something from them i say if i if i can teach you one thing one thing and you teach me one thing we can't have any greater success than that exactly so jumping back towards your class you had said that you know you saw some some you know lack of a better word goofy things once in a while that that motivates you can you give me an example i, I don't want to front anybody off but you know I'm sure that you see a few things that, you know, when you're traveling, I mean, we all, it, those of us that are fortunate enough to travel around, you know, and train a lot of dogs, it seems like we see, you know, some, some commonality sometimes. Yeah. So I think the, the, the biggest, I guess, stresses I saw are frustrations. And I was part of a different organization and different certifying thing. And like I said, I'm with Dogs for Law Enforcement right now and hopefully forever because our certification is operational base. And 
I think what I see a lot of times, what frustrates me is guys doing things because they had certification coming up. And like the common, I guess, uh, rule around our area is two training days a month. And, you know, if you look at how many dogs are training that day, so divide that up, how many training hours you're doing on your dog, why would you ever want to train for something that's not going to benefit you on patrol? You know, oh, I have to do this. Why? Oh, starts coming up. Well, are you ever going to use this when you deploy? No. You're wasting, I think, hours that we should be making ourselves more proficient at our, our profession, our, our, our craft. And I think I, I was with an organization where you shot at the dog. It was the, the coverage test. And I said, the dog doesn't understand the concept no. <laughs> of a bullet. Like if yeah. you shoot at me, that's a courage test because yeah. I have the concept that that's yeah. a weapon. There's a projectile coming out that could kill me. So a dog yeah. is just a loud noise. And, yeah. and I watch it and I said, okay, so you're teaching him to go bite the guy that's shooting. Yeah, So exactly. when there's a shooting Correct. and the cop is closer than the bad guy that shot, the dog's going to attack the cop, you know, so we teach like neutral to gunfire. I'm a big proponent of that. It should just be a noise to your dog and he, and he should be neutral to it. Absolutely. Um, and I agree. It's disappointing that there's still organizations that do that. It is sad. And when they go, I'm testing his courage, I go, it's like hearing a car crash next to him. He doesn't understand you're shooting at him. I mean, I hope you, you know, the guys will look at me like, I'm like, oh, whatever, you know, do, do what you want to do. You know, it's funny. I had that same conversation one time. Uh, with somebody about that, and and the guy said, "Well, the thing is that it's not just a loud noise. When bullets go by you, they whiz and they hear that." And I said, "Well, are you shooting real bullets, your dog?" He said, "Well, of course not. They're blanks." <laughs> I, said, I said, "Well, I guess we don't need to discuss this anymore." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, know. <laughs> you just wish him well. Have yeah. a great day, sir. Yeah. I'm going to go train somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so that was a big thing. So I want to really try to drive home is, you know, aspects of training. Analyze, you know, what you do. And you should really focus on that. I joke around about, you know, guys that'll come up and it's like, I always feel like a guy will come up to me and go, you know, I heard these guys have a helicopter. Can we get in a helicopter? And I'll look at them and say, you can't out your dog. Exactly. <laughs> like, so once we master you outing your dog, I'll work on getting you a black hawk. How about that? <laughs> see, see what we can bring in. So, I, Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I've seen, uh, as you have too, you know, like when there are people who go to like a SWAT dog class or something and they're repelling. But they they also can't you know just do a simple verbal release. And I, yeah. I was thinking, you know, maybe maybe you should do what you might need to do because you'll never repel with your dog. So yeah, you know, and just I say like you have to hammer those basics and you have to yep. hammer them. And I always say you want to train it until you're sick of it, and then train it more. Exactly. You, know? uh, you so, and I are on the same page. You know, like think about a car stop, and I'll say, okay, well, how many times do you do a, a a complete scenario? Come up behind the car. Stop the car. Guy comes out, pop the dog. We do it. We do. We've done that. Okay, you've done that. How many times? If you're thinking about statistically, that's what happens. Then you should train that. Or if you do a tremendous amount of building searches, B and E's, you should really be beyond proficient at B and E's before you're worried about rappelling and you know going in helicopters. So let me throw a little bit of a curveball question that you and I didn't talk about, but I'm sure you're up for it. Is you know we're talking about different uh, training around the country and different training that you've done in. Nigeria and stuff. So I've had uh, Jeff Barrett on and we talked about common mistakes with patrol dogs. Andy Wyman talked about common mistakes with narcotics dogs. So you know, I'm throwing a curveball at you. So hopefully you got a few, but what's a common mistake you see around either here or even Nigeria? It's legitimate. They're doing the same thing we do with uh, explosive detection drugs, either they're training or they're, 
their selection, their handling, anything that you see, they've seen the little bit common thread that um, people could get a takeaway from? I think in the United States, not doing a full scenario. So I always say what I think is interesting and God, not going to come to my class now. They're going to be like, I already heard this guy on the, on the, <laughs> no, on the podcast. <laughs> but I, I always say, and, and this is, this actually goes for a single purpose narcotic canine and a single purpose explosive detection canine. Uh-huh. So I'll ask them, you know, these are at hits. You're talking about guys that are deployed. They're operational. They're on the street. Yeah. You know, they're around bad guys. I'll say, who's affected an arrest while maintaining control of their canine? And they, and they haven't, you know? Yeah. And I say, so think about this. You're a, you're a bomb dog and you're deployed in Colorado and you have a suspicious package call and you're walking up to it just to you know, run your dog on it. And a guy jumps out and it's go time. And you've never trained it. You've never affected an arrest of a suspect while maintaining control of your dog. So what do you do? So guys have to start thinking. If you have to start thinking in that situation, now you're behind the curve. Your brain's trying to process the situation and how to handle it. You have no muscle memory. You have no contingency plan of how to handle the situation. And I, I think that's a big downfall we have, especially with single-purpose narcotic dogs. I mean, in the situation they're going to. So now you have to process. Do you drop the leash? If you drop the leash, is your dog going to run away? If your dog starts running away, where are most handlers going to track their vision to? Their dog. Man, their yeah, dog running exactly. away. Now your eyes are off. The most lethal threat in your life right now you're going to, it's, it's in our nature. We're going to worry about our dog. Now my dog's running away. Uh, so I, I think when I talk about that scenario, I'll tell guys, say your next training day, throw out a suspicious bag call. And I always stress with single purpose bomb dogs, because yeah. <laughs> we, we know what the dual purpose bomb dog yeah, is going to do. You're not gonna that's an easy situation. There. situation <laughs> with a single purpose bomb dog. And then have some guy come up and shove him and put his hands on him and say, get away from my bag. And you'll watch the handle just deer in the headlights. Yeah, that's a great scenario. And, yeah, I, outstanding and I say that's, I think, a flaw, right, in, in our armor and our training is they need to know, you know, do you have a D-ring? Do you have an area to clip the lead, you know, to your yep. person? Is your dog going to be putting it down? And will that dog hold that down while you engage a suspect? And you know, a lot of guys go, wow, I never thought of that. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great scenario. So so just kind of a lack of, um, you know, being being a cop type scenarios is something that you see lacking in in the training. I, it sounds like I like I like a scenario based training that goes to all the way to completion. Handcuffs, you know, transport, bring them back to the the you know whichever area, whether it be a, your cruiser or to hand off to somebody else. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great one. Do you have another uh, a one to throw on here before we wrap this up? far as with the single purpose dogs yeah yeah or or any any dog i mean it's like i said we we kind of did the the patrol and narcotics dogs already so i wanted to pick your brain i know like i said you have a varied background with explosive dogs you know and i always say with the with the with a bomb dog you know basically find target odor and, and sit so there's less less that can go wrong um i think a, a big thing to to watch for is depth of hides and amount of hides lowering the threshold. I think a lot of people like to play just the hide and seek, and a lot of people don't like to to fail in training. And, and that's what training's for, to test the limits of our dog. You know, if I take the explosives and I hide them in a room and I put them right on the threshold and they come through and the dog hits it, okay, now I want to put it a foot into the room. I want to put two feet into the room, three feet into the room. And, you know, it's okay in training to say, 
wow, no dogs hit that. And, and I love the term, well, that's a bad hide. <laughs> it's a bad hide. Yeah. There's explosives in that room. We yeah. just met the threshold yeah. that our canines can find X amount of pounds, X amount of feet off a threshold. And yeah. it's, it's something to learn I, from. Yeah. I, I, I always tell, you know, handlers, especially I'm, I'm training a new uh, narc dog right now. And I was just telling him today that, you know, if, if you're not missing hides in training, then we haven't wrapped ratcheted the training up enough because, you know, this is the time to be pushing the dog and finding out what speed we can move at, how, you know, what we can do and then adjust the training accordingly after that. I always find like we always want, and obviously we always want to win, right? It's in our nature, but you, you, like you said, in training, let's push them to find out their limits and then can we train them to get there or is it their limit, right? We all have limits and and that's that's what we have to use that training for. And that's kind of back to a wonderful class that hits called Training for the Right Reasons by Jerry McClellan <laughs> go. is, is, you know, don't just go out there and waste your time. This is, this is our profession. This is life or death. Let's make sure we're taking our training day maximizing the effectiveness of what's going to make me better and challenge our dogs. And I always say, you know, whatever, whatever organization you might be in, you know, it doesn't have to be dogs for law enforcement or, 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 or any number of organizations out there. Pick one that's going to challenge your dog and don't be afraid of your dog not passing because that's where you want to learn. When I have to go stand before a guy and he puts my dog through a gambit of test, if my dog fails there, I, I would, want to respect that and appreciate it and let it be an eye-opening experience of where I need to train more. But a lot of guys don't want to challenge their dog because nobody wants anyone to tell us that we failed. But I always say, if I gave you a gun and you're going out to work tomorrow and I go, hey, I got this new gun and uh, hey, it shoots. You're not going to just take that gun and go out on patrol. You're going to say, well, I want to go to the range and I want to put a bunch of rounds through it to make sure it's going to fire. It's not going to jam. I want to put hundreds of rounds through it. Once I know this gun is satisfactory, then I'll go on the street with it. But you gotta go through a short school or get a dog, and they're like, "I got a police dog. I'm going to go out on them." Like, well, have you had a third party evaluation of that dog? Have you tried to certify with other, you know, agencies and challenge the dog? A lot of guys are like, "Well, no, I'm all set. It's a, uh, you know, he came certified." And we have to start challenging our, our canines, challenging our instructors. That you know, if you want to be an instructor and you want to be a professional, challenge them. Sure, I agree with you. I, I absolutely agree with the challenge. You know, spend that if you got that precious training time. I agree with you. You know, make it make it actual training time, not just hide and seek, or not just something so you can fill in your training sheet and show the sergeant that you did a certain number of hours of training. You know, the, those those teams when we run across those across the country, the people who do that are very very easy to pick out. You know, the people who are doing the minimum. So yeah, you spot them a mile away. Yeah. They're, they're the, and they're the ones who, when we're doing challenging scenarios, are usually uh, the ones that are in the back hoping that they don't, you know, we run out of time before we do their scenario. So uh, I, I enjoy being around the handlers, whether they're young or old, that uh, are the ones who are pushing themselves and, and not at all um, embarrassed that their dog doesn't do everything perfect because I think that's how you get better. That's what training's for. Identify where I need to train further. And if I'm doing something great, I know I can you know, minimize my minutes spent on that, maximize my minutes on, on another skill. And, and yeah, like and, said, and, and learn from those people. We had, um, Mike Gritlin was in town about a year ago doing some stuff with our state association. And I know Mike quite well. And at the end of the, one of the training days, I had my dog out just cause he'd been in the car all day. And I was just around a couple of quick hides just to give him some exercise. And I, I told Mike, I said, Hey, challenge me, you know, knowing that I'm going to get challenged here 
in front of, you know, the person I really respect, but I, I wasn't at all embarrassed to do it. And yeah, he set up a scenario that it had happened to him in a, a time and humbled him. And it, it sure as hell humbled me. He, he took my own wallet and put my wallet in the training area. And if you haven't done that, it's pretty humbling because is it realistic? Maybe not, but I tell you what, I would have bought it all day long. My dog, my dog went to the odor and I mean, did everything that he would do on an odor and, and went to final and he's like, hey, that's your wallet. <laughs> so really, it, yeah, it's, it was an odd thing, but he said someone did it to him when he was selling some dogs, I guess. I think I can't remember the exact story, but it was a, it was a humbling thing just to show that, you know, I mean, uh, it probably need to work a little bit more on, you know, it, it probably could have been anybody's wallet at that time. I don't know. Cause then I started working, you know, more human odor and saw that I had a little bit of a problem, you know? So, but instead of sucking my thumb and thinking, Oh boy, that's a BS deal because, you know, my wallet won't ever be in the search area. I took it for, you know, I thought, man, what a great idea uh, to, you know, to really challenge and to have to work it through one more problem, you know, and just keep, yeah. keep pushing ahead. Have to proof them off your items. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, and I think when they proof off your own items, it'll be easier to proof off somebody else's, yeah. you know, fresh, freshly touched items. So, so maybe, made me think what you just said, how something that happened to him. So also with training and traveling, I always ask people, you know, to tell me something that happened in your area, what, what happened. Cause when I was in Iowa, we're very spoiled in Massachusetts in, in the Metro Boston area. If I hit my officer in trouble, you know, my OT button, I'll have hundreds of cops there. You know, I mean, within minutes, we're, we're densely populated. And I was in Iowa teaching at a seminar, and I said, what have you had happen here? And they had a bank robbery, two suspects with assault rifles. An all-scale all call-out, and five guys went hunting for him. Five, and I was like, really? And they said, yeah, that's like waking the sheriff up. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I, I forget what county in Iowa it was. And uh, they said, yeah, so we, they found the car. They ditched the car and five guys went went after these guys. So we did a we react, reenacted that at the seminar. So I had a car, you know, dumped and I had two guys go off into the woods and I did teams of five. Because it makes no sense going to a seminar and having fifteen guys go out there because they're not yeah. going to have that. Yeah, just like you're saying, you know, the some of the agencies that on their big training once a year, they bring in a Blackhawk to fly around in. That's a waste of a afternoon. I mean, it's fun. Uh, so I shouldn't say it's a waste, but they're not going to have that Blackhawk the day that they need to go out and, and hunt for somebody. So it it's not uh, not very productive. I think that's always the best. You know, a guy comes to training, hey, man, I had this last week. My dog handled this way. All right, let's set it up. Let's run all the dogs through it. Yeah. Because you know, we saw it here, we can see it again. Absolutely. it's a great point. Any other uh, things that, you know, I was thinking when you were talking, uh, I would have to imagine when you're sitting there in Nigeria and you know that you're training people that are going to find bombs hundred percent. Did that make you tweak anything or just kind of pay attention to more of the basics like you did before? Or? So I think what the, you know, what was most interesting there is, um, Nigeria as a whole is not a dog culture. You know, they don't grow up with, with dogs uh, as pets and, and the way we do. And I think what was eye opening to me is much like a lot of, you know, the militaries, they were voluntold. Yeah. So you had people that it wasn't like a guy signed up and was like, <laughs> I want to be an explosive detection dog handler and go, go north, you know, to in the yeah. Borno state. And, you know, and when I was there, it was the World Cup. And every time Nigeria played, we had a V-bit hit a market. We had a guy who had an had a IED strapped to a bicycle and rode the bicycle right into Because what they'll have there is one TV and like a, like a little market. And a lot of people gathered around it to watch the, 
a soccer game. And uh, so you have these people that are already in, in, a, in a war and then they're told like you, you're going to go be a, a bomb dog handler. And uh, so my biggest challenge, I think, was really getting them used to even being around a dog and, and you know, bonding with the dog. And it, like we have the same problem here is praise. So you have, I mean, stone cold soldiers, very serious. And you try to tell them about like a high pitched voice of praising a dog. <laughs> and they're looking at me like I'm insane. <laughs> And it was just, you know, because they knew they're, they're deploying. I mean, they're, they're getting these, these explosive detection canines and, and, and they're going north. And, you know, but it was, I got to tell you, a part of my life I'll never forget. So we, uh, a bee bit hit a market right by us hard. And uh, obviously everybody heard it. And everyone knows that sound and feels it. And, uh, the next day, the major was giving them, you know, a speech. And he said how like the explosive detection dogs will also sense the enemy approaching. So not only are they explosive detection dogs, but I guess when he was up north fighting, you know, the dogs would pop up and alert when people are trying to trying to sneak in on them, even though they're they're single purpose, you know, bomb dogs and just great speech just trying to, you know, obviously motivate them that, that they're gonna go, you know, north with these dogs and, and, and you know, defend Nigeria. Wow. Like I say, there's some some pretty dedicated people around this world that is humbling when you hear those kind of stories. Well, I appreciate the time. Um, if people like this uh, idea and, and want to get a whole lot more ideas and, and also uh, you'll have a chance to talk to Jerry in Chicago, we'll be at HITS uh, in Chicago in August. And the, if you want to see Jerry's bio, it's at hitsk9.net and also his class descriptions are at hitsk9.net. So registrations are, are flying in. We got a good group. Um, if you, I don't know what day I'll release this, but right now it's uh, towards the end of July and we'll have over a thousand people there again this year. So uh, hopefully uh, if you're listening to this and it's uh, getting close to registration, you still want to uh, jump on and come out and we'll see you there. So Jerry, thanks again for uh, jumping on and I'll see you in just a couple weeks. Thank you, Jeff. Look forward to seeing you in Chicago. HITS Radio is brought to you by the professionals at HITS Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois this August. HITS has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.